Welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwich and I'm the Executive Director of the Initiative and I'm joined today by three of my senior economic colleagues, Dr. David Law, Dr. Bryce Wilkinson and Dr. Eric Crampton. We want to talk today about the government's housing package. The housing package was announced on Tuesday this week. The two basic elements of that housing package are the extension of the Brightline test to be extended to 10 years from five currently, and also that it would remove the deductibility of interest payments for property investors. What we really want to talk about today is actually the nature of this process because it's quite a rushed process. It's a process that's taking us all by surprise. And I just want to start with you, Eric. Can you give us a bit of a background? Some commentators say that what the government is introducing is just a capital gains tax by another name. The government, of course, says no, this is just the extension of the Brightline test. But who's right there? I'd consider it to be a capital gains tax of a particularly odd sort. It's a capital gains tax that's only on investment housing. So previously, if you had a very short bright line test, then it was kind of an administrative thing to try and make it harder to disguise home improvement work that should have counted as wage income when you sell a property at a higher price. I already has trouble enforcing that. There could be argument around using a bright line route rule for administrative efficiency. It's implausible that that's what's going on when you extend it out to 510 and potentially 20 years on uh, some recommendations. The initial Brightline test was introduced under the key government in 2015. It was only two years, and now they want to make it 10. But Bryce, there was discussion, of course, after the tax working group reported a few years ago, the tax working group actually recommended a capital gains tax, and the prime minister at the time actually said, no, we're not going to introduce that. And by the way, we are not going to have one for as long as I am the leader. Would you think this is a broken promise now? Well, I, th I certainly think um, it looks like it, and the people who own rental uh, properties will be absolutely convinced uh, that it's a it's it's an extension of a capital gains tax and a particularly punitive nature, and that it's coming in at people's top marginal income tax rates, which is totally out of line with um, international practice for countries which have capital gains taxes. And and David, there's an additional promise that is probably broken now, and that was Grant Robertson before the last election, telling us that um, there wouldn't be any further tax changes over this term. Yeah, and uh, not only does that, in my mind, cover the extension to the Brightline uh, test or capital gain tax by another name, but also the now the extra tax that will be charged on formerly a deductible expense of mortgage interest for landlords, uh, for property investors. And um, you, you mentioned the uh, previous tax working groups. Um, normally big changes like this, I mean the revenue implications of something like this will be in the order of three to five billion a, a year I might guess, having not seen the uh, the any of the uh, analysis going into the government's decision of course. But do any of you recall that a change like this was even discussed in either of the tax working group uh, reports over the last uh, years? I certainly don't. And I've worked in the area of housing for some years now, and I struggle to think of an example of a, another country where this kind of policy has been even implemented before. So there's there's that other aspect in my mind of it as well. It's, it's um, completely come out of left field. And quite specifically, Grant Robertson, before the election, ruled out any further changes apart from the top rate of income tax. Is that right? That was certainly my understanding. Right. Now, Bryce, you mentioned before that uh, this tax rate that we know effectively get for a capital gains tax would put us completely out of line with international experience. Can you explain a bit more? 
the the normal uh, approach internationally to taxing capital gains on on houses is to have it at a reduced rate, like ten or fifteen percent of the nominal capital gain. Um, and the reasons for that is um, it, an income tax should be really on real income, um, not uh, not nominal income. And uh, capital gains on houses are normally measured as nominal income. And uh, so we talk about uh, a tax rate on capital gains of about ten, fifteen percent internationally. Yes, whereas ours right. would be would be more thirty, thirty-three percent, thirty-nine percent, depending on the size of the gain and the individual situation. And are there any other countries um, doing it that way, developed countries that we know of? None that I know of. This looks like it would put us at the top end yeah. of the developed I, world I, on that. I, before the meeting, I remember glancing at a uh, chart from the OECD of, of the effective uh, capital gains tax rates in other countries, and I think only Denmark was ahead of us. I think Spain might also be in a higher category. Ah. Okay, so... Is any of this then compatible with the tax system as it stands? I'm thinking particularly about um, the deductibility of expenses. I mean, so far, I think we have never really taxed revenue in any business. We have always taxed income and profits. So how would this even stack up against the rest of our tax system? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, right? So normally you're taxing businesses on their profits, not on their revenues. If the main business expense for someone who is investing in property is the debt that they take on and, and the mortgage interest from it, you're knocking out the ability to consider your biggest expense and only in one sector. Like it'd be terrible if we had it overall, but having it just here will encourage people to not invest in that, right? So suppose that you've got a block of land there, you could put up an apartment tower and you were considering a build to rent arrangement, right? So instead of kind of the messes that we have here where um, an apartment tower goes up, people have pre-funded it by buying unit titles in it and they rent out their individual unit titles. Suppose that you wanted to put a, an apartment tower up and you were going to be the single owner of the place and that means that you can maintain the common areas, you don't have the fights that happen in unit title measures. Or you could put in an office tower that's for uh, commercial purposes and rent it out to commercial tenants. If you're putting it up for residential, you're not going to be able to write off the interest, which is the, your biggest expense, right? And while they've talked about, well, maybe they'll exempt uh, new new developments from this, they haven't quite formalized that yet. But really, it's Lucy with the football, right? So I, I don't know if Peanuts was quite as popular here as it was in North America, but uh, there was the, the running gag where... Lucy would hold the football and Charlie would line up to kick the thing. And every time she'd pull it away. Um, today's new builds are going to be existing builds in five years. And if the government finds it attractive today to throw this onto existing builds, why wouldn't we think they'll find it attractive in five years time to throw it onto buildings that were new new builds today, but it'll be existing buildings in five years time? Like, it's just terrible for regime, regime certainty. How do you make decisions about how to invest when the political climate is the way that it is now? Bryce, you are a bit of a walking encyclopedia of New Zealand economic policy and the history of economic policy making in New Zealand. Can you remember any incident in the past where revenue was taxed and not profits or income? No, not off the top of my head, but some pretty well. If you can't recall it, it probably doesn't exist. things that have happened in the past. I mean, my soundbite on it would be that um, an income tax exists to tax income. 
what the government's doing is not taxing income, it's taxing something else. And to call that an income tax is the corruption of the concept of an income tax. So it doesn't fit into our system of taxation? Absolutely not. It's a, a perversion of it. And one with the process which has been rushed through, it's an alarming uh, perversion of it. You've written a column as well, which will run in a Herald later this week. And in that column, you also argue that it favours homeowners even more than they used to be favoured under the tax system. Yes, that's right. Um, uh, homeowners, what economists call the imputed rent, is not regarded as taxable. Uh, well, it's not taxable under current law, which is a big advantage compared to um, renting. But the members of the population who need rent, a supply of rented accommodation And it's very uncomfortable that you've got a public policy which favours homeowners who tend to be the relatively wealthier people in the population because they can afford a, a deposit. And you're screwing the scrum against the people at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder who are needing to rent. Mm. So if I sum up so far, we have a policy that was announced as a complete surprise, which probably, probably broke a few promises not to introduce a capital gains tax not to introduce any more taxes this term. It is basically a capital gains tax by a different name. It is out of line with international capital gains tax rates. And of course, it's incompatible with the existing tax system because um, we are usually not taxing revenue. And we are definitely favoring homeowners even more when that was already an existing imbalance in the tax system. So that's already bad enough. But I think a further argument that you have made, Bryce, is it is also retrospective. In what sense is it retrospective? Yes, well, people um, who bought their rental houses more than uh, a year or a couple of years ago um, and would have had their business model on the basis of expected rental income, uh, less ex expenses and the prospect of some capital gains, they're now uh, looking at a situation where progressively over a four-year period they're going to lose that interest deductibility um, which, as Eric has pointed out, is a major expense of their expenses. And so this radically changes the outlook for their ownership of that property. Add to that the bright line rules, and they're really penalised. So this is, a, this is a measure which has retrospective effect as far as they're concerned. But technically, Eric, we wouldn't call this retrospective. It's just practically having that impact, right? Well, you make, all, you make all your investment decisions based on the rules that you're facing, and you make the numbers stack up, and then they pull the rug out from under you, right? It's hard not to see that kind of change in the rules of the game after you've made your play as having been retrospective. And I think, okay, if, if yeah, I could add, please. I mean, I think one uh, extra concerning thing is that the two elements of the new package that have been bought in, they now mean... The, the, the fact that you can't deduct interest expenses puts people in precarious positions who own rental properties. And because there is now the extension to the bright line test, that's a barrier for people exiting. And so they're actually putting in a very precarious mm -hmm. position a lot of landlords who may now have to choose between defaulting on their mortgages or selling their property after seven years now when they, ex when they intended to be owning the property for much longer and facing, because we've had large capital gains recently, facing a tax bill of, 
you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not a great position for those uh, landlords to be in. So what you're saying is really that the changes to tax law in New Zealand are so cruel and unusual that no normal investor could have foreseen them. As I said before, I had I had thought about housing for some time and I'd never heard of this uh, non-deductibility of the core expense of a business. So it's not just that it was not anticipated, you couldn't have anticipated it thinking that tax policy couldn't become that crazy. Well, I was, I was thinking ahead of time about what housing measures might have been announced in the budget this year, thinking in the most pessimistic way possible, and I didn't anticipate this. Hmm. Yeah, you, anything like this, and especially sprung in a hurry like this. So for all of the reasons that David was pointing out around, you've got highly leveraged folks sitting on piles of properties. Now, this will have effect, right? And you would want... Treasury and possibly even the Reserve Bank to have gone through and see, well, what's going to be the consequence if you've got a pile of owners who have, have these highly leveraged chains and then they may be forced to deleverage by this abrupt policy move? Uh, when I was at the Waikato Economics Forum a, a few weeks ago, one of the clear signals that the banks are trying to give to the Reserve Bank governor is that we can't have these sort of sharp changes. You need things to be pretty well telegraphed. And then this is bigger than what... Uh, what the Reserve Bank has been doing, there's potential systematic effects and Treasury is advising that they didn't even have time to work it all out. I, I don't see why this needs to be implemented in three days time or well, I guess it's less than that, right? It's like one one day's notice yeah. and they pass well, it. Well, that gets us to the uh, completely separate issue process. I mean, as we are talking, we are talking on Wednesday morning. We only heard about this 24 hours ago. <laughs> And from my understanding, this package is now in third reading in Parliament already. Yes. So, um, I mean, typically it's not quite how it would run. We had a tax working group we mentioned before. That tax working group ran over, I think, about a year, if I remember correctly. There was a chance to have input. Um, you could make submissions. There were hearings. I think they were even touring the country explaining what they were trying to do. This is a bit different. <laughs> So, I mean, again, I mean, Bryce, from your memory, the kind of legislative changes, tax changes, where something is announced one day, is in Parliament the next, and is law on Saturday. This is, leads us back to a time about 45 years ago, right? Yes, you, there needs to be an urgency justification for something like this, and, and in this case, there isn't one. Um, and it's not even the right policy for addressing the problem. The, the, the problem is to free up the the ability of people to build on their own land. And that will, if that's done with credibility, that will reduce land prices very, very quickly. But just to ask a bit more uh, clearly then, I mean, it has a whiff of Muldoonism about it, right? It's utterly ad hoc, and I, I, don't th I can't think anything Muldoon did was uh, is as bad as this. What also makes it interesting, of course, yesterday we heard that Treasury and IRD actually advised against these policy changes. And beyond that, Treasury and IRD, from my understanding, not only advised against it, but they said in the regulatory impact statement they didn't have enough time to prepare a proper one. You worked, you, yeah. you both, David and Bryce, you worked at Treasury before. From your experience, how would such a process be handled usually? Well, similar processes uh, or similar changes like this have, have been proposed in the past, and there has been there has been a, a massive flurry of analytical work that went into the policy advice that when I was at Treasury uh, would have gone up to the, to the minister. You know, there were, of course, there are short time frames sometimes in, in policy, but they would have been longer 
you know, long enough to do some useful analysis. There are really important questions here that need to be addressed to have any sense of the of the impacts on, on any kind of uh, measure that you care about of these policies. And um, it's amazing to me that we can make such substantial policy changes with what seems to be, you know, almost no no analysis. Yes, I'll, I'll give you a, a historical example which comes to mind. Um, Sir Robert Muldoon's been overly demonised. He was actually very proper the way he went about public policy. When he came back from an OECD meeting in 1972, um, he decided New Zealand's inflation rate was out of line with what was happening in the United Kingdom and the US. And so he advised Treasury that he was thinking of bringing in uh, price controls to get inflation down and hoping that that would have less unemployment than what was happening in those countries. He gave Treasury two or three weeks to advise him about that and we were able to run the Reserve Bank model and um, do different configurations and um, give him policy advice. We advised him against doing that and um, he properly and constitutionally thanked us for advice and took the decision out of uh, into cabinet, which of course we we did not attend, and went ahead anyway. So um, he was absolutely proper, and he he gave time for advice. It wasn't an urgent emergency thing. He listened to the advice. He thanked us for it, and then they took their decision as they're constitutionally entitled to do. This. This thing, clearly, um, the government's had no interest in, in giving its advisors time to give them informed advice about it. It's, it's re remarkably different. And you would think that a, a change to the systematic of the tax system would require a proper analysis from the departments and probably also some public consultation. Yeah, to change the definition of income and still call it an income tax is highly irregular. So what does all of this then mean more broadly? What kind of signals do you think uh, this sends both to the New Zealand domestic business community and to international investors? That it's pretty hard to form expectations that are necessary for making investment decisions. Uh, we saw at the start of this government the oil and gas ban that came out of nowhere with no analysis, seemingly because the prime minister wanted to be able to say something nice at an international conference and then clean up the mess afterwards when they realize just what was wrought there. They've been seeming to work hard over the past few years to provide assurances that that kind of thing wouldn't happen again. They had seemed to have recognized the mistake that they'd made. And now we've just got ad hoc policy again in a major sector that'll have substantial consequence with very little analysis on what the potential effects would be. So yesterday when this got announced, we were having a flurry of emails around the office where we were just trying ourselves to figure out, well, what the hell's going to happen with this, right? What's it going to do to rents? What's going to happen to the rental market? It's kind of complicated. It's a big, messy area. A bit more analysis supporting this would have been uh, kind of a good idea. What's the way forward from here? Do you think it will have the uh, desired effect on the housing market that it would actually cool it down? Because I think even our commercial banks are quite split on that question. The, the crucial thing that's needed is the ease up the supply of land. Um, even if it has a, a one-off effect in containing a, a house price rises for a while, the, 
the pressures are still there and the land inflation will resume. And we know this from overseas, where overseas countries do have capital gains taxes on property, and they still, some of them still have the same sort of housing affordability problem we have. But beyond that, on the regulatory side, on the taxation system side, do you think that at some stage in the future that needs to be rectified and repaired? Yeah, well, I would hope and expect the National Party to say they'll reverse this and, and make sure that in future an income tax taxes income and not something different. <laughs> I, I wonder where it stops, that the, uh, the tax treatment of one particular type of um, business activity now has been changed and is completely different from all others. Um, what, what next activity is, is deemed evil and therefore... Well, and that leads us back to political risk, I guess. So all we can do at this stage, I think we can watch this with interest. We cannot properly submit to any process because it's already happening. But for now, thank you very much for sharing your insights with us. So thank you, David, Bryce and Eric. And we'll do a separate podcast and look at the implications for the rental market based on a piece that you're writing, David. We'll do that later this week. But for now, that's what we can say about this package, which took us all by surprise. And we hope we helped uh, enlighten debate a bit. So thank you very much and talk to you next time.